Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will conclude his message entitled, Listen Your Way to True Love. We're still in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. A part of this I called the key to everything, and it's in verse 21. I want to underscore it because this is the key to everything. It says in in this translation of the Bible, and further you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Another translation says you submit to one another in love out of reverence for Christ. Love is all about mutual submission, mutual surrender. Can I use the word? Compromise? A lot of Christians hate that word. Love is really all about, I'm willing to give up something for you. You're willing to give up something for me. But basically, God values marriage. And we're supposed to, in reverence for Christ, value marriage. It says that you will do this out of reverence for Christ. You you know, you can come at things and kind of say them gently, but but this, this scripture, this verse, is something that doesn't deserve to be said gently. Paul is really trying to jam us. He's trying to get our attention. I mean, the issue is lordship. Is Jesus the Lord of your life or is he not? Is Jesus the master? Have you come to the place where you let God be God in your life? Or have you not? Because we're dealing with real hardcore stuff here. We come to the Lord by faith and we engage the Lord and we allow him, most of us, to be our savior. To be our, The word means to be our rescuer, to get me out of trouble. But we have a hard time going that extra mile that says, you're, you're the boss, you're the Lord. Now, what I want you to understand is that the concept of lordship is directly tied to faith. If you're struggling and you're going, I don't have much faith in my life, then I want you to re-examine. Do you have a bold, rash, disregard for everything kind of commitment to the Lord? Because if you're in a place where you're willing to say, he's the boss, that's it, over and done, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever happens, it's his book I'm a character in, and I'm going to live out what he has for my life. He's the Lord. Then you have faith, and you have entered into faith. Does that make sense to you? It's faith is the opposite of unbelief. I am believing in him that he's going to make it work so well and I'm committing everything to him and I'm not counting the cost. Well, when you come to that point in the Lord, you're going to start to see prayers getting answered in ways you never dreamt of before. And it's this reverence for Christ that's the key to everything here. I will submit to my wife's needs. She will submit to my leadership, to my needs, because she loves Jesus more than she loves me. I'll submit to her because I love Jesus more than I love her. I'll submit to this marriage and stay in it because I'm submitted to the Lord, and I'm willing to believe that things may look very bleak right now, but if I will live out commitment to the Lord, he's going to turn this into something really good. Because if we don't have that, we really don't have much anything. So Paul is not 
being gentle and kind here. He's ramming it down our throats, and it deserves to be rammed down our throats in this case. Well, the next part of this I called, Listen to His Machismo. In verse uh, 22, it talks about wives and how they offer submission to their husbands, and it's different than how a wife offers submission to his wife. It says, you wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, that's a pretty heavy call. You learn to trust the Lord. I've just told you, you know, go all out in trusting the Lord. Now you're going to trust your husband in the same way. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to be her savior. The word savior is pretty important here because how it relates to a man in the marriage. And then it says, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything. The word submit does not mean to be walked on like a doormat. It means to voluntarily be sensitive to what's going on and yield to that other person. And then basically to say, here's submission. I'll walk through the fire with you. If it all goes to hell in a handbasket, that's fine. I'll still be beside you. And what he needs from you, the kind of submission is to hear him out, to listen to him, to, to dig out that little boy inside. What he needs is a friend. I mean, marriage is really about friendship. Ultimately, it's about friendship. Let's look at the next part here. I call this listen to her heart. And you'll notice that the Lord says about three times as much to men about their relationship with women as he does to women about their relationship with men. Verse 25, it says, You husbands must love your wives in the same way that Christ showed the church, or Christ loved the church. How did he do that? He gave his life up for her. You know, a lot of men like to use the word submission on their wife. I don't know how you can get away from the word submission when it says give up your life for her. It's not that you die for her. That would be easy. That's a one-day event. Is that you compliment her cooking even when it doesn't measure up to your mom's, you know? Or that there are things that she has that are needs in her life and you respond to her needs. You do things her way. And you're going to find happiness. Well, it goes on and says, He gave his life for her, verse 26, that the reason is to make her holy and clean, washed by baptism and God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man is actually loving himself when he loves his wife. No one ever hates his body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, his body, and we are his body. It says that Jesus laid his life down for his bride, the church, so he could present her back to himself as a bride in all of her glory without a spot or wrinkle or any of that. And in marriages, I always like to remind the guy that the, that the woman is going to become something in the future that she's not today. And she's going to become something beautiful if she grows into the sunshine and nurture of your love. And when it talks about Jesus presenting the church back to himself as a bride in all of her glory, and, and then us as men having this responsibility in our relationship with our wives. So one of the things that we don't do is hold our wives to being what they were when we met them, or hold them to being what we see in somebody in the movies or something. You let them be who they are. And you 
nurture and you care and you invest. And I'm here to tell you that the more you invest in anything, the more you love that thing that you invested in. The more you invest in it, the more you enjoy it, the more you appreciate it, the more you value it. The more you invest in your wife, the more you're going to appreciate and you're going to value her. This whole idea of, of, of true love and love that lasts forever and I love you. I was hearing some song on the radio last night. I'll love you for the rest of my life, be it one hour, be it five decades. I'll love you for the rest of my life. You know, that's, that stuff, that, that emotion that we have is real because God put it there and God wants us to be that way. You know, I, I talked, I, I, I overheard some high school kids talking and they'd done something talking about sex and there were these, these kids were going on about, can you believe your parents doing that? How grody, ew, ick, they're so old, you know, wrinkly. <laughs> Is it not all right to talk about sex in church? God invented it, you know. The idea, I think, when, for, for people who are very young, to look at people who are very old and think of them being in love with each other, is, 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 it freaks them out. They don't get it. But then the young people are sitting around pining over somebody thinking, I'll love her for the rest of my life. Well, the rest of your life includes when you're in your 80s. And the people who really have it made in life are the people who have a companion that walks with them in those those waning years of your life. And there's somebody that's there for you that fully understands you, that is fully committed to you, and that you'll never be alone because that person is there. My parents are 84 and 81 years old today. And they deeply love each other. They're best friends with each other. My dad has Parkinson's disease. My mom's there for him. My mom went through a horrible bout of heart problems before. She had to have a quadruple bypass. And then a, a few years ago, Ruby and I were in New Zealand. We got a call. Nobody told us how severe it was. Uh, that they, they had to go in and do some repair, and one of the arteries ruptured. And my mom, they almost lost her. My dad was there for her. And these people love each other. They love each other dearly. And, and that's the goal. But it costs you something to get there. You know, I look at people, I, I, I can remember back in the, in the 60s when the sexual revolution started and the whole drug deal got started. You know, I, I grew up in Leave It to Beaverland, and then the world all changed. And, and, I, and I remember looking at some of my friends and the way that they were living their lives and sleeping around and whatever. And I, I remember thinking, you're setting yourself up to be lonely a couple decades from now. You're going to be all by yourself. You know, I, I know people have been through four or five marriages. And as some of us have been wounded four or five times by marriage, and I'm not here to hurt you. But there's some of us who just have a plain old selfish streak, and we never are going to be able to sustain love with anybody because it's all about me. And this is all about learning to lay your life down. And when you do, you get to enjoy the benefit of that, which is, is, is something good and gracious and a gift from the Lord. The Bible says that a person who has found a spouse has found a gift from the Lord. And, and when we have that gift and we, we cherish it and we take care of it and we nurture it, then we're off to the races. But when we don't, we're going to lose it. We'll lose it in several ways. You can lose it to divorce or you can just lose it to 
to, to living in the house as roommates. It's no fun. You notice here, it tells a woman basically that she should respect a man because that's, that's really what it's saying. You know, it, it let him, you know, submit to him as a leader and all that. It's telling a man that he should love his wife, which means show mercy, show tenderness, uh, be willing to yield a little bit, show the soft side of what you are. The next part here, we'll end with this. It, it, I, I call it imitate the great communicator. When I talk about the great communicator, the name Ronald Reagan comes to mind, doesn't it? I was reading an article uh, in Forbes magazine this week, and they interviewed Peter Drucker. Probably in live, you don't know who Peter Drucker is, but if you're in business, you probably do. He's, it's probably his last interview. In fact, a year ago, he said no more interviews, and he broke his promise to do this interview. And in the midst of it, they were asking him about charisma and leadership and how important is charisma. And, and he says, oh, Joseph Stalin was very charismatic. Adolf Hitler was charismatic. Mussolini was charismatic. Tojo was charismatic. Those are the folks that brought you World War II. He goes, the least charismatic president in the history of the United States was Harry Truman. And he goes, Harry Truman was a person who was absolutely a man of his word. He was a Baptist. And Drucker said that he knew Truman. He said the people around Truman in the administration absolutely idolized the man. Because in a sea of falsehood, Harry Truman would always tell the truth. If he made a promise today, a promise was going to stand tomorrow, even if somebody else lobbied against it. He stood for what he stood for, and everybody knew that, and the whole country respected the man. But he said that the, the, the greatest communicator of all of them was Ronald Reagan. And he said that people say that Ronald Reagan was the great communicator because of his charisma. And he said it had nothing to do with charisma. He said it had to do with the, the honesty of the man and his ability to listen to people. You know, this last election, everybody's going on about the red states versus the blue states and this and that and the other thing. The truth is, one political party, as happens in every single election, listened better to the people and responded to the people. They listened better than the other party listened to the people. And people are standing around wringing their hands. We didn't know that there were this many people in America that still have traditional family values. And we lost the election. How could we do that? And they're still not getting it. They're still not hearing. But it's listening to the people that counts for something. Do you remember Bill Clinton and the speech that every talk show host ever made fun of that said, I feel your pain? Well, the truth is he did. Bill Clinton was a fantastic communicator because he listened. The guy held more presidential press conferences than anybody. He could listen well to what was going on in the mind and the, and, and the, and the question that was being asked, to, asked of him. But Clinton learned how to listen to America. I told you, I, we're talking about Democrats and Republicans here today all day long. But learning to listen. But the greatest communicator of them all has to be the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but in my prayer life, and I'm pretty intimate with the Lord. I do most of the talking. <laughs> it's two-way. I listen. He speaks. But it's about 20 to 1 me talking all the time. 
What's your prayer life like? If you're not intimate with the Lord, it's 50 or 100 to 1 you talking all the time whenever you get around to doing it. But if you are intimate with the Lord and, and, and you're hearing from God, it's mostly you doing the talking. He's the great listener. He's the one who responds. A lot of times I think that that's just supposed to be that way because half the time when I'm praying, I don't even know what in the heck I'm praying about. You know, I'm just rattling on and it takes a while for it to zero in. And it's like God's up there listening and listening. Oh, now I got it. And now he comes through. He's a great communicator. So this comes back to you and I imitating the Lord. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The word one there means into agreement. It's the kind of agreement that's a forged agreement. I don't mean like forge a check. I mean like forge something out of iron. It's something that, that you know, you, you take a piece of iron and you heat it up real hot and you beat on it with a hammer and you make it into something. And, the, and, and we're united into agreement that some stress and some pressure and whatever comes into our life and we learn to yield to one another and we're bonded into one. We're bonded into agreement. Compromise is a key word here. He says, this is a great mystery, and it is. How can a, a man and wife become one person is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are also one. And then he says, so again I say, each man must, and underline this word, love his wife as he loves himself. And the church must, and underline, or the wife must, underline this word, respect her husband. The one is asked to show love, the other is asked to show respect. Why is that? Because it doesn't come naturally for us, either one. For a husband to be tender and gentle and loving to his wife doesn't fit the world most men live in most of the time in the workaday world. And we've got to come out of ourselves to do it. For a wife to be, to be responsive and listen and not fight back when the guy is acting like a jerk doesn't come naturally. And we're called out of ourselves to do it. God's calling us into this kind of a relationship. Does this feel right? I mean, this, there's, there's some really down and dirty advice here that'll work, that'll see you through. And uh, we really need to take it to heart. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning in thanksgiving for all that you are to us and all that you do in our lives. We recognize you as the great communicator. You're the one that listens to us when we whine. You listen to us when we pray. We, you listen to us when we praise you. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you would make us into listeners in our relationships with each other. That we would stop talking so much and learn to listen. Learn to hear the heart of that other person because that's the key to success. Lord, we want to deal with the issue of lordship in our life, not just in, in our, in our male-female relationships, but lordship in every area of our life. God, I pray that I call you to convict us, each one of us, as we live our life this week, decisions we make. Am I living under the lordship of Christ? Am I living like Jesus is the boss? Or am I just doing my own thing? Lord, bring us there, and particularly in our relationships, that we come under the, the reverence of Christ. Lord, knowing your heart toward, toward us and toward our families and what have you. Lord, I pray 
as the pastor of this church, I pray for, for people who are sitting here that my words this morning are painful to them because they're lonely and they're looking for somebody and there's nobody in their life. And I pray, Lord, that you would, as our Savior, as our Rescuer, as the one who cares about us, that you would reach into every life that would express that kind of loneliness and bring someone into their life that would meet that need in their life. God, do that for us. Be a matchmaker for us. We need that. Lord, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm talking to some people in this room who are in pain over what I'm saying because of the, of the sorry state of their marriage. Lord, I pray that both partners would learn to yield to you. And in yielding to you, they'd find grace for tomorrow and hope for tomorrow and love in their relationship with each other. Lord, there has to be somebody here that's struggling because inside of their marriage there's drug abuse or there's physical abuse. Lord, I pray that those people would get the courage to come forward and ask for help because we have help in this church for them. Lord, that you would instigate it in their lives. God, I pray for people who, who, who are, are married and, 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 the, and the joy has worn off. The, the excitement is just long gone. God, as they submit to you as Lord and they begin to make, they step out in bold investment in their partner that you would rejuvenate their love and rejuvenate their life and give joy back into the relationship. And Lord, I pray for the, for the multitude of people here this morning, the, the majority, largely the majority, who, are, who, who have, have engaged you, have engaged these scriptures before, and they're living them out and they're living a life of success, and they're having a, a life that's filled with the joy of the Lord. Their home is filled with love. They're on their way to, to cruising into old age and partnership with somebody that they enjoy being with, and their life is a success. Lord, I thank you for that success because that's what it's all about, and that's what's mostly here in this room. But I pray for those people that you would cause them to cross paths with people who are hurting, and that you would cause the overflow of their love and the wisdom that you've invested in them to be poured out of their life into the lives of people around them and that people would be blessed and strengthened. Lord, I, I heard last night of a mini church that's deliberately doing a, a, a Love Life series. They're going to do that study just so they can reach out to non-Christians and invite them to Love Life. God, we'd like to hear more of that. Help us to come from the base of our strength and respond to people who are in need. Lord, do good things through us as a congregation. Give us, help us to be missional. Help us to reach out into our community roundabout. In Jesus' name. Keep your eyes closed for a moment. We're going to pray again. And it's just a very short prayer that says, God, I need you. I, I open my heart to you. I want to invite you into my life. I, I'm going to pray out loud like I just did. I want you to pray with me silently like everybody just did. But it, it, this is a prayer for not everybody to pray. It's, there's just some of you that need to open your heart up to the Lord today. And if that's you, I want you to, uh, to, to join me now and, and pray to invite the Lord into your life. But I want you to tell me if you're going to pray with me. And the way I want you to tell me is everybody else has their eyes closed. I want you to look up right now and that'll be our signal. If you want to pray and invite the Lord in your life, I want you to look at me right now. Yes, sir. Good. Who else? Okay, let's pray. God, I'm coming home.
always known you're there, always known that you care, but I've been living life differently. And I've come to a place where I, I just want to surrender to you. I thank you that you sent your son on a mission into this world to take our guilt and our sin on himself so that we could somehow be forgiven by you. Lord, if sin is turning your back on God, I've done that. And I'm asking you to forgive me. God, bring me into relationship. Fill me up with your presence. I pray that even now I'd, I'd, I'd sense emotionally, physically, peace coming over my soul as I pray this prayer. And that in the midst of that peace that you begin to speak to me and lead me and guide me. And that you'd turn my life into something really good, really beautiful, really worth living. I want to walk it. I want to live it with you. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray this. Amen.